0: We're going to be in Mark chapter 15 uh, this morning. We have most recently been walking through uh, Jesus' very last hours, His trial, his, the beginnings of His crucifixion. We've seen the injustice of those trials. Last week we saw His incredible suffering as He was mocked and humiliated and the incredible shame um, that He was placed under. Um, this morning we're going to see the horror of His death. The horrific death that he suffers, but I hope that as we, we see that horrific death, we don't miss. We don't miss the beauty and the wonder of his amazing love. Um, I hope we'll see that this morning. Let's dive in. We're going to be starting at verse 33 uh, this morning of Mark chapter 15. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama Sabbakani," which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders heard it and said, behold, he's, he's calling on Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last breath, he said, truly, truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you help us this morning as we look to your word? Would you truly help us to see, as, as we just sang, the, the, your, your wonderful cross, And as we survey your wondrous cross, would you help us to see your amazing love for us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just. Uh, two weeks ago, me and my family, we, we were on vacation. Uh, we weren't here with you guys. We'd actually gone down to Orlando to enjoy some time at Universal um, Resort down there, um, the parks down there. And when we got there that morning, you know, we pull up to the resort. You know, we're going to just kind of throw our stuff down real quick and so that we can just head to the parks. And, you know, i got a plan in my head, and I'm ready to go. And, and we get there, and we pull into the parking lot, and we can't get into the parking lot. You know, it's one of those gate things, and it just won't work. You know, I wave my key code over, it just won't work, it won't go up. I'm like, great. You know, and there's a million parking places, not a million, but there's a bunch of parking places in there, and it won't open, and I I can't get in there, and it's right there near the entrance, and you know, we got luggage to carry in later that night, and so I start beginning to get a little frustrated. Um... And so we end up having to go down to the next parking lot, the next parking lot that's like five miles, to, it's not five miles, maybe a half a mile, maybe a little less. Anyway, it's, it's down the road a bit, and so we park down there, we get home, and then I start settling down, okay, we're, we're going on in, you know, we're, we're going to have our great day, and I'll have to deal with coming all the way back out to the car later tonight, right? So that night, after a long day in the park, we had a great time, I was exhausted, we get back to the room, and then it's time for me and the boys, you know, to go get the rest of the stuff out of the car. And, and we go out, and we, we walk through the lobby, and I say, does this sound like it's raining out there? And we get out there, we open the door. I mean, it is, it is torrential downpour, you know, like you only see in Florida, right? And I'm like, you know, and the boys could tell you probably more, but I got a little grumpy. Um, I wasn't exactly happy because we, we got to get the stuff from the car. I'm ready to go to bed. I'm exhausted. We got to get this, you know, it's like there's no choice. What do you, what do, you do? I'm not going to wait around an hour to see if it stops, and so I give the boys all my stuff, and, and in the process, one of the boys, like, you know, they're trying to console me, so they, one of them gives me a hug, and he had my sunglasses on, and the, the, the lenses of the eyeglasses fall out on the concrete right there. And, and so then I, you know, I just give them all my stuff, except for the keys to the car, and I head down to the car, and just start running, running, trotting, whatever it was. And, and, I, and I try to get down there, and I'm about halfway down, and I get to where the gate is, you know, where you go through, and you, you wave your badge, and it's then that I remember, like, Okay, if I go get the car, and then I drive back up to this gate, I'm not going to be able to get through the gate because I don't have the key card to my room. So then I trot all the way back to where the boys are. I'm even more irritated because now I'm com- completely soaked and still haven't made any headway. And I get the key and then go back down there and I get the car. And when I got in the car, I realized, you know, it just it didn't really take but a second. I realized how silly I was being. You know, here I was, you know, we're on vacation. We're just enjoying this great vacation, and here I am getting so irritated and upset. I, I think, I hope the boys would say, whenever I got back to them with the car, my attitude was, was at least a little bit different. But, but what is it in us? You know, what is it in me that, you know, I, I constantly have that, that me pity party, you know, and, and life is, is all about me, and I, I so easily get upset. I have, we all have some deep problems inside, don't we? Deep problems that constantly have us turning inward on ourselves and, and making life about ourselves. And I hope this morning, as we look to the cross, as we look to Jesus' very last even, even minutes and seconds at the cross, I hope that we'll see that there, He and He alone provides the remedy for our problems. For the, for the way that sin continues to, to, to just affect our lives and we, we so easily, easily dive into the to the focus on ourselves, to getting angry about the little things in life. And hopefully as we come to the cross, um, we can see ourselves drawn to him, to the real solution to all our problems. So let's look to that real solution that is provided here on this this moment of of great tragedy, a horrific moment. Verse 33. The sixth hour had come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Here we are from noon noon, Until 3 p.m., total darkness. Okay? At the time, whenever sun's supposed to be at its brightest, there's no sun. Totally dark. Now, now what is this? Why is this going on? Darkness in in, in Scripture, it's a a sign of God's judgment. Okay? You remember when else the land went dark, the ninth plague, the one before the sending of the angel of death, where, where all of Egypt went dark for three days, and the Egyptians did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place. What was that? It was a sign of God's judgment against the Egyptians. We read, too, about this day, I think, in Amos. And on that day, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. You see what's going on here in the midst of this darkness? Judgment. Is coming down. And judgment is coming down on Jesus. That's what's going on here. Now, we get a little uncomfortable and we don't we don't like to talk about judgment, do we? We don't like to talk or think about God's wrath. It makes us uncomfortable. Our, our world doesn't like it, the world that we, we find ourselves in today. We, we, we love to talk about a God of love. But to talk about a God who demands justice, who demands that our sins, that my me parties, that they be paid for. We don't like to think about that, do we? That, that, that blood must be spilt. We, we don't like it, but, but we see it throughout Scripture, don't we? What does Romans, what does Paul tell us in Romans, but that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the, the glory of God, and in, verse, in chapter 6, what does he tell us? What are the wages of sin but death itself? In Isaiah, he says that our iniquities, our, our sins have done what? They've made a separation between us and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. In Hebrews, we read that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. These are hard things to hear, aren't they? That, that, that our sins re- require consequence, that our sins have consequences to them. That they require punishment, that, that, that blood has to be shed. That the wrath of God has to be poured out somewhere. We don't like it very much. Um, Miroslav Volf is a, is a theologian coming out. He, he grew up in, in Croatia in the midst of war. And he, he, he talks a bit about how many in, in, in our side of the world, in the West, we struggle with this idea of divine vengeance, of divine wrath, of judgment. Like the, these ideas, as I've said, they make us uncomfortable. He says this, To the mis- person who is inclined to dismiss this whole idea of God's judgment and wrath, I suggest imag- you imagining that you are delivering a lecture in a war zone. He says, let me take you to Croatia for a minute. Let me take you to where I grew up. Uh, among your listeners are people whose cities and villages have been plundered, burned, leveled to the ground. And he says, if you, you find yourself there soon, you'll discover that it takes quite somebody who grew up in suburbia, maybe like ourselves, um, to, to, to come up with this thesis, this idea that God doesn't pursue justice and judgment. It says, in a scorched land, soaked in the blood of the innocent, this idea will invariably die. People who've who've seen the atrocities, they they, they desire and they long for this. We we struggle with it, don't we? But we need to come to the reality that this is true and this is real for us. Scripture teaches it from the beginning to end that that there are consequences to our sins. Here, here, I just want for a moment, just to stop for a moment, as, as we think about these consequences and stuff, I want to, th- to think about our needs. What is it that we really need? Um, John Stott is very helpful in this, in his great book, uh, The Cross of Christ. He speaks about four needs that we have, four different things that we really need, um, that we need solutions to four different problems. The first problem is our wrath of God problem. We don't like that idea, but, but it is what it is. And this is that as the result of sin, we are rightly and should be recipients of God's wrath, right? And, and what do we need? We need something to, to cover that wrath, right? We need something to appease God's wrath on our behalf. So that's our first problem. We have this wrath of God problem. We also have a captivity problem. We, we, we find ourselves captive to what? Sin, We find ourselves in bondage to it. So we have a wrath of God problem, a captivity problem. We have a guilt problem, don't we? We're we're, we're legally guilty, deserving of death. The wages of sin, as we we said a moment ago, is is, is death. That's the, the appropriate consequence. That's the appropriate legal consequence for what we've done. And then fourthly, we have an alienation problem. We're separated from God right? There's this separation, even as we, we spoke of a moment ago from, from Isaiah, where, where God can't even look upon us. These are the problems that we all struggle with in this world. Everybody. Everybody is born with this problem, these problems, right? Wrath of God problem, captivity problem, guilt problem, alienation problem. What's to be done about it? What, what, what can repair, what, what can fix these problems, And the solution to this problem, the the repair, if you will, to, to these problems comes in a horrific cry. Verse 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out because at this moment, he, he cries out with these words of Psalm 22, because at this moment, he is the God-forsaken one. It's so at this moment, he, he is made to drink the cup of wrath. Back in chapter 14, we remember Jesus praying in the garden, and what did he pray? What did he ask for? He said, he said Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. R- remove Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What was he asking? He was asking that he might not have to drink this cup. That he might not have to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Heavenly Father doesn't come to his rescue. But allows his son to be the God-forsaken one. Enduring the wrath of God so that we would never have to. Now, some look at that and think about this, the the father having the son do this, and and, and they they call it some sort of like cosmic child abuse. Like, how could a father make the son do this? And it it seems so strange, and and yet Jesus helps us out in the Gospel of John. What does he say? He says, no one, no one takes it. Nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Everything is going according to plan. Jesus has, has agreed to this. Is He running into it? Is He desiring for, for, for the pain that He experiences? Does He want to be God-forsaken? But He willingly goes. He willingly goes. He willingly fulfills this plan. He willingly, as Galatians 3 says, becomes a curse for us. For as it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree he becomes the cursed one the 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 worst death imagined in the the old testament being hung on a tree and here the savior is the son hung up on a tree what does he do He, he he takes our sin upon him he becomes the cursed one for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God he bore our sins the price of our sins paid for he cries out my God my God why have you forsaken me he becomes the God forsaken one for us so that you and I will never have to be do you see the horrific moment that Jesus was going through do you realize how dark that hour was the darkest hour that this world has ever known and yet what do we see around him But people completely misunderstanding what's going on. They don't get it. Verse 35. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's he's calling Elijah. And someone ran. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. Now, the fact that they're saying this means that these people must be somewhat schooled in Judaism. They, they must have a Jewish background. Maybe they're Jews themselves. And, and, and in that day, there was this idea that, that Elijah is almost like the, the patron saint of the suffering. And if you cry out to him, maybe Elijah will, will come down and rescue you from your suffering. So that's the idea in the day. And, and so when they hear him saying, Eloy, Eloy, they misunderstand it and think that he's saying, Elijah, Elijah. And so what do they do? Someone comes and in order to keep Jesus conscious, in order to keep him conscious for as long as possible, they give him this drink, this sour wine, this drink which was actually common in that day to be given to like soldiers on the battlefield to help refresh them and and to keep them alert. And they give it to him to try to keep him alert so they can see what's going to happen. Is Elijah going to come down? And isn't it quite telling that here, that even in, in Jesus' last moment, no one still seems to get it. The people standing there, they, they don't even seem to get what's going on. His disciples have fled. He's been abandoned by all. He's been abandoned by his father. And the comment of the witnesses is, oh, he must be calling out to Elijah. Let's give him something to drink. Let him stay alert. Let's see, see what happens. Completely misunderstood to the end. And yet here is Jesus suffering the wrath of God, the judgment of God has come down upon him as he is becoming the God forsaken one. Now, at the same time we we think about the the horror of the passage before us this morning. I don't want us to miss the fact that at the same time this is horrific. This is so incredibly beautiful, so wonderful, as we see God's amazing love. There's a reason why we call it Good Friday, right? Yes, it's horrific, but at the same time, it's so, so amazing. I'm sure many of you have been there before. You've been on a mountaintop or at the ocean. You've seen the sun rise and it just takes your, your breath away as you have that a moment of amazement. I remember so many mornings back when I w- worked out in Colorado of, uh, of being up on the side of a mountain in the Arkansas River Valley early, early in the morning and, and seeing the sun rise over the Arkansas River Valley and it never got old. Every time it left me in wonder. As I was thinking about this, I was also reminded to A day just a little over 18 years ago, I was at a church in Conyers, Georgia, and the back of the church opened, and in walked Adrian, my bride, and there too, my breath was taken away, tears were shed, not tears of, oh no, what am I getting myself into, but tears, tears of just wonder and awe of, of both the beauty of my bride, but the, the beauty and the amazement of what was going on at that moment, right? It left me in awe. As we look to the cross, we, we need to be left in an even greater sense of awe, I hope. An even greater sense of amazement. Kids, we're, we're taught from, from early age to sing that song, Jesus Loves Me, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. We, we all know it. What? what how does the Bible tell us that Jesus loves us? Right here. There's no, I don't think, more beautiful and incredible way that it tells us that how much Jesus loves us, how he loves us so than we see right here in our text this morning. As Jesus himself becomes the God-forsaken one for us on the cross. As I was preparing this week, I was reading a book by, by Martin Lloyd-Jones gone on to be with the Lord, but a great British preacher, and um, called The Cross. And it is a series of actually nine sermons, all on one verse of Scripture. (laughs) Get that? Nine sermons, one verse. Here's the verse. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Spending nine sermons about what? About boasting in the cross, glorying in the beauty and the wonder of the amazing love of God shown at the cross. Do you find yourself boasting in the cross? Do you find yourself in wonder there? Let's just look at it. 37, verse 37 in Jesus. Uttered a loud cry. He breathed his last. And here, here we see Jesus uh, uh, amazingly, now get this, staying conscious through all of this. This was unusual in, in crucifixion. I mean, guy, guys were in and out of consciousness, yet Jesus seems, what we learn here and in the other, other passages, the, the other gospel accounts, is that he stays conscious through it all. He's, he's, he's in control we read earlier, right, how he, he's the one who lays down his life, right? He's the one that chooses the moment, uh, the, the hour. Don't miss the incredible control. And we see here that he cries out that last cry. Mark doesn't tell us what that cry is. In the Gospel of John, we read this. When Jesus had received that sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave it up at that moment. Saying it is finished. Uh, you, you've heard it before. To tell us, die, just one word, it's finished, it's completed, it's done. And how do we know that it's completed? How do we know that it's done? What do we read happens next in Mark verse 38? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's as though the Father comes down out of heaven, ripping the curtain from top to bottom, and it's able to be ripped. Why? Because His wrath and judgment has all been poured out upon Jesus, He has taken our sin upon Him. It has been done. It is finished. And the curtain is able to be ripped open because of Jesus' incredible work at the cross. Now, not that you'd be excited to if you were to read like all the stuff written on that verse... There's a lot of confusion as to, well, what curtain is this? Because there's actually two curtains in the temple. There's the one in the holy place that, you know, the priests could go into. And then there's the one in the holy of holies where only the high priest can go once a year. And so there's a lot of argument over, well, which curtain is it? Because Mark and the other gospel writers, they don't really make it clear. I think we're going to quote from Hebrews in a second. and And I think that helps to solidify that it's probably the holy of holies, that holiest place where the curtain is ripped. But at the same time, I don't know that it really matters that much. The point is ultimately the same. You see, it's at that moment, as, the, as that curtain is ripped open, what is God the Father saying? Because of the work my son has done, it's finished. This whole, t- this whole temple system, it's over. It's done with. There's no need for any more sacrifices. With, with Jesus, we now have direct access to the Holy of Holies, to the holy place. We can go in. There's, there's no need for, for priests to be the go-in between between us and them and, and them making sacrifices and other blood to be spilled because the ultimate blood has been spilled. What we're talking about here is the incredible concept of the atonement, of the, the, the way in which. Christ has paid it all for us. And because His blood has been spilt, there can be and there never will be for those who are in Christ any condemnation. You see, this is the the very purpose for what Jesus came for. Now, we didn't read it in Mark because it's not in Mark, but but in John's Gospel, uh, when John the Baptist first sees Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry, do you remember what he says? Behold, Behold the Lamb of God who who, who takes away the sin of the world. The very beginning of Jesus' ministry. the, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what do we see this morning? But the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. As Isaiah says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As the author of Hebrews says, so Christ having been offered up once to bear the sins of many. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. He's opened that curtain for us through His blood, through through, through being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of of the world and through that he's a solution to those problems those problems that we we mentioned earlier remember the first one our wrath problem what do we read in Romans 3 but what what do we learn about Jesus whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to to be received by faith now propitiation is a big word and we see it many times in the New Testament and let's not get fearful of it what does it mean it means that Jesus took what he bore God's wrath in our place. He, his blood appeased God's judgment for us. He is our propitiation, but He's not just our propitiation. He is also our redemption. We're, we have this captivity problem bonded to our sins, but what did Jesus say in Mark 10? What did He come to do? The Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for many. So that you and I no longer need to be bound to sin. I don't need to be bound up to my me party. I can see it for what it is, and it can be revealed in my heart, and then I can go to my boys and say, I'm sorry for the way that I was talking to you. I I shouldn't have, I, 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 I know it was a difficult moment, but that doesn't give me any right. Our propitiation, our redemption, He is our justification, solving that guilt problem, right? That before him we're, we're legally guilty. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. We've been saved by him for the wrath of God. We, we, we've been justified. We, we, we're declared innocent. Why? Because he has taken on our guilt. He condemned in our place, in our stead, taking the punishment and the penalty for our sins upon himself. Our propitiation, our redemption, our justification, and finally our reconciliation. He, he solves that alienation problem, right? We who are alienated from Him, what does Paul say in Ephesians? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus is in His work on the cross. In, in being the God-forsaken one has solved the most important problems that this world knows. Our alienation from God. The the, the guilt that we have before Him. Our our captivity to our sins and the very fact that we deserve the wrath of God. And He takes it on for us. As Stott said, God's saving work was achieved through His bloodshedding. That is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. That's how, that's how all uh, is fixed, if you will. That's the solution to our most deepest problems, and, and how is the world going to respond? Now here is the amazing moment. The curtain of the temple has been ripped in two. And who, as we kind of read along in Mark's gospel, who seems to be the first one to walk through the torn temple? Oh, the torn temple, the, the torn curtains. Verse 39, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last breath, he said, Truly, truly, this man was the Son of God. Amazing words, especially if you go back to the very first verse of Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. What does Mark tell us? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It should be no surprise that here we get to this moment that the centurion is the first one, besides the demons, who knew who he was. The centurion is the first one in the Gospel of Mark to call him who he is, to call him the Son of God. The first one, if you will, to kind of walk through the, the, that curtain. Now, we want to ask, you know, does he really respond? Does he really know what he's responding to? Does he, he really know? What's going on? Does he become a genuine believer? I I can't answer all those questions about the centurion. But there was something so incredible. as, As nobody else seemed to be getting it, there's something that he got. The centurion had watched who knows how many people die. He'd overseen who knows how many deaths. And there's something so qualitatively different about this one. That when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last breath... He saw something so incredible that he's left saying the only thing that he can, this man, must be the Son of God. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Folks, in this passage before us this morning, we, we have this incredibly horrific death of Jesus as he truly suffers the wrath of God. But we also have the the wonder of the amazing love of our great God of what He does here at the cross. And it brings us back to Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. Do you react like that to the cross, my friend? Have you seen these things in the cross? The Son with the Father and the Holy Spirit sustaining the Son. He offered Himself through the Eternal Spirit on our behalf to God. It is your reaction to this. It is your response to what we've been talking about this morning that decides whether you are a Christian or not. Do not tell me about your good works. I'm not interested. Do not tell me you're a church member. I'm not interested. Do not tell me uh, do not tell me those things. Are you and this is the question, are you glorying in the cross of Christ? Is this everything to you? Is this life to you? Is it? Is the cross life to you? Do you boast in nothing but the cross of Christ, of what He has done for you because you can't do it on your own? Many of you, you, you recognize, recognize the name Charles Wesley, one of the early founders of, of Methodism. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song uh, that he wrote. Um, he was a pastor for a long time, a missionary even to, to the country I come from, of Georgia, down south, right? Um, he was once there, but... If you would hear him tell it, whenever he was there, he wasn't even a believer, even though he was there as a pastor. Some years later, in 1738, one of his friends came to him and asked him this question. Upon what basis do you hope to be saved? And listen to how Charles Wesley responds. He says, because I have used my best endeavors to serve God. He says, because I've worked hard enough. I've worked really hard. I've been really good. I've been putting forth my best endeavors. And his friend sadly shook his head and he walked away. Wesley wrote in his journals in reaction to this. He says, what? Are not my endeavors a sufficient ground of hope? Would he rob me of my endeavors? I have nothing else to trust to. It was later that year that he was given the the gift of of the commentary on Galatians by Martin Luther. And it's there as he read it that he began to truly trust in Christ. Believe the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. He began to understand, I I think, the, the radical nature of the cross and what really took place there. So much so that it's that year, not too long after he became a believer, that he he wrote the song that we're about to sing, where he asks the question, how can it be, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Are you amazed by those words? Does the cross this morning leave you in wonder? The glory of your Savior? Does it? Let's pray. Oh, Father. The cross is so wonderful and in so many ways so hard to truly do justice. to what took place there. We thank you this morning for the wonderful cross. We thank you for what you accomplished there, that that you forsook your very own son so that we would never have to be forsaken. We are left in wonder that you could love us like that. We're left in wonder this morning of your amazing, amazing love. Would you help our hearts to, not, not just the words that we're about to, to sing, but would you help our hearts to truly sing that? Truly believing and truly knowing and, and truly understanding The amazing and the incredible wonder of the cross. Father, I don't even know how to say thank you. Except to just say thank you for what you have done for us. There are no words that would do it justice. Would you help us to praise you now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing? And as we do, you're welcome to come down and also get the offering elements as well. Let's sing.